Well, if you're joining us for the very first time, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the discipleship journey. Uh, decided to start with the first teaching was what happens if you're a non-believer and you want to know more about who this God thing is and this religious thing is and, and whatever you, how you may have kind of displayed that as a non-believer. We take it from the very first step when you become a believer and how to become a believer, and we have been stepping through the journey of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So many people know who Jesus is or about Jesus or about God in general, but so doesn't Satan. Satan knows about God. It doesn't make you any better like you've arrived or something. The question is, is then there's those who give their life to Jesus Christ and you are saved and you're going to heaven. Again, that just means you're saved. That doesn't mean you're growing and maturing, and, and it doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. This journey that we're taking on Wednesday nights, and I encourage you to go back in, on the teachings here, and because we, we put them out there on Facebook, go back to the very beginning and watch those from the very beginning, because we build on through these things to now we're into the practical pieces. The early part, you're like, I thought that was tough, but... When you get into the practical things and you're dealing with how do you deal with jealousy and envy and hatred and things and anger and all these things we've been dealing with on each of these topics in your heart, that gets really tough. And I know it can cause people to squirm. But that's what God's doing. He's doing a work in you. He wants, don't you want to deal with things in your life that you've said, I, I've been trying your whole life to deal with, but you haven't been able to do it? It's because you haven't been doing it biblically. So now we've been going through this biblically, and I'm giving you a boatload of scripture and understanding biblically how to deal with issues in your life. So now you're accountable. You can't say, I didn't know, because now you know. The scripture's right there. It's your job is now to apply it and make the necessary biblical change in your life. It rests on you. You're responsible for the change that can take place in your life if you're willing to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and do it his way. Are you with me? So as we go here, we're going to continue because now we're in the subjects of, of uh, this interpersonal problems you have with other people. We're talking about how do you love other people? Yeah, especially those who are very difficult to love. They're very prickly. They're very porcupine-ish kind. So when you get near them, they kind of they poke you all the time. So we're going to deal with how do you deal with some of these interpersonal relationships that we find ourselves difficult to work with, and what does the Bible say about those in regards to how we're to change? Remember, the teaching is not always about the other person. It's like, you know, you know, no, you know, no, I, I got to send this teaching to this person because they need to hear this. No, 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 no. This is for you tonight. And if you're discipling someone else up or helping someone else in a loving, biblical way, then yes, you want to take what you're learning and share it with other people. But don't do it to abuse it as a hammer over someone's head and say, I told you, you're all screwed up. Well, we already know you're all screwed up. That's why God has you here and listening so you can learn and get your life right biblically. That pleases God, not pleases other people, but pleases God. And if you're tracking with me, let's, let's move on from there. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you again for uh, your, your time this, this evening, Lord, that you've given us to be able to gather here to study your word, study the topic at hand, and help us, Lord, to, by the power of your Holy Spirit to 
literally get past those, those clogged ears at times, those hard hearts, those stiff necks that we may have at times, the, the distractions of the hard work at day, and, and, and even as simple as having to move some snow a little bit to get here. May none of that distract from what you have for us this evening to teach us, to love us, to encourage us, Yes, in some cases, to do some surgical removal of something in our lives that just should not be there any longer. Have your way with us. We ask this in, by Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, I will use as a platform to go in. And again, hopefully you're taking notes and, or just sitting back and listening to just really listen to hear the message for tonight on this uh, how to love your neighbor, how to love others, and what the Bible says about that. We see here in Philippians, it starts in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore, if there is any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord, of, of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness, that humbleness of mind. That loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Being others-minded, how important that is. Now, as we take a look at the scriptures here tonight, and we're going to learn how to love your neighbor, and, and to learn how to love your neighbor, it requires a willingness on your part, to draw on the strength of Jesus Christ and that relationship you have with him for you to learn how to die of yourself for you to be able to love and to be able to willingly love your neighbor. Because as you draw on the strength of Jesus Christ, as you die to self, you, lived, you learn to live for him. And as you live for Christ, you will see a transformation take place in your life that allows you to have the love of Christ inside you to be able to overflow to the persons or persons in your life and around your life, including your neighbor. And I say neighbor because it can be a coworker as a neighbor. It could be literally a neighbor. It could be someone within your own family as a neighbor. It means the, someone who comes across your path in your daily life. Now, living in the manner allows you to practice biblical love for others in spite of adverse situations or circumstances you find yourself in with some people. Or your feelings are, go contrary to what God says you should have in regards to working and loving and, and, and dealing with people. Now, that's not easy. It's very difficult. That is why we need to change biblically to be able to do that. Because you can love someone, but you could love someone in a very unbiblical way. You can, uh, you can we call it at times, uh, enabling people 
to do something that is contrary and not pleasing to God, but you enable them to do it anyway because of the fact that you want them to still love you. Well, you're loving them in an unbiblical way. To encourage them and allow them to continue to live in their sins and continue and encourage them and say it's okay for them to live in their sins is not biblical. You have to understand you're loving the person, but what they do that it doesn't please God, that you must address. You can't enable them to continue to do that. That's an example of not loving someone in a biblical way. We must learn how to practice, and it means practice. It's something you have to to grow and to learn and continue to seek after God to teach you how to, to practice consistently in loving people biblically. Now, in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39, Jesus says to him here, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and all the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we learned last week you, over the fallacy and that false teaching that says you must learn how to first forgive yourself and love yourself before you can forgive and love someone else. That is not biblical. So I encourage you to go back to last week's teaching and listen to that teaching and all the scriptures associated with that so you can get that that unbiblical thinking out of your mind that's worldly thinking that's psychological thinking that's 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 a social kind of social work kind of thinking that might be leaning on your own understanding kind of thinking, but it's not biblical thinking so you have to go back and get the scripture on that in luke 23 34 jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they do and they divided his garments and cast lots that's the kind of love unconditional love that we see from our Savior. He's on the cross. He's about to die. He's been tortured. He's been beaten. He's ripped his, his, his beard out. He's just bloody from t- head to toe. And he says to his Heavenly Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How many times people do things against us and are you at a point in your walk with Christ that says, Father, they they don't know what they're doing. Help them. What can I say and do that will assist them to come to you and to surrender all and give their life to you? Or how can we get to a point where the Holy Spirit is convicting their hearts so that they will will confess their sins and and, uh, be willing to change and get right with the Lord? Because hanging on to unforgiveness is just destroying you, my brothers and sisters. You can pray for the other person, but you you got to stay right with the Lord when it comes to forgiveness. When it comes to, to taking and doing it biblically, reconciling with your brother or your sister that has wronged you, you must settle that with the Lord first and then settle that with the person as well. And again, go back to the teachings about reconciliation and forgiveness, the things we've been talking about. Because God is, and our Lord Jesus is our example. In John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love, if, if, if you have love for one another. That is the indication of someone who's been saved and changed. Is that you'll see a love that you can't explain. Why those, why would they, why would that person forgive that person? 
And the only, if, it's a, if that person's a Christian, it comes down to this, is they, they have the love of Christ who's willing to forgive. They have been shown much grace by their God. How can we not show grace to some other, someone else and forgive them? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, first part of 8 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Oh, how important is that we meditate on those verses when it comes to relationships with others. His love will never fail. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels me. Not my love compels me, but Christ's love compels me. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's why we love others. It's because Christ loves us so much and still intercedes for us as, 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 as brothers and sisters. He still intercedes for us. In 1 John chapter 4, Verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. <laughs> I could stop right there and just, you can just, just think of what that statement is. Let us love one another, for love is of God. If you're for God, then you need to love as God commands us and as God encourages us, as God instructs us, God has demonstrated an example for us. We are to love other people. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It gets even more intense in this conversation here, in these, in these verses. Doesn't get any easier here. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I'm not going to love that person. Are you kidding me? There's no way I'm going to love that person. Are you out of your mind? Well, then you don't know God. No, I'm a Christian, not according to the scripture. Not according to the scripture. Now, if you tell me, Pastor, I don't know how to love this person. I want to love them, but I don't know how to love them because I am just really, 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 really having difficulty overcoming what took place. I can work with that. God can work with that. I can show you the scriptures and show you how to forgive someone scripturally. I can pray for you. We can have a bunch of people praying for you to help you to learn and to grow and mature in your walk with Christ so that you would have the capacity to have this unconditional love that God has for you to be poured out onto someone else. We can work with that. But to blatantly say there's no way I can love that person, you're in trouble, man. 
Because the scripture says very clearly here in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 8. How about 9? Verse 9. And this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The payment of for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God is so loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's what compels us as Christians. Because it's about what Jesus has done for us. Our response is to love those God has brought into our, across our paths. Now we also see here every believer in Christ is responsible. You have responsibility. Yes, you do have responsibility as a Christian to do his or her part in establishing and maintaining harmonious relationships. That is our responsibility as a Christian. Your example is the Lord Jesus Christ who while here on earth demonstrated how to biblically love and express that love to one another. He's our, our perfect example. That's why as we study the Gospels, we can see how Christ has loved another person. We want to be more like Christ, do we not? So that we respond in the same biblical way that Christ did in his examples for us. He was tempted in every way. He was tested. He was persecuted. He was put to death. Father, they don't know what they do. Amazing example for us. We see in 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. There is a true blessing. If you will harmoniously, well, I should say, take responsibility for to have harmoniously solid, good relationships with others. And you must practice and you must do that work. So your change that needs to take place is a continuation from last week. And there's, here's a couple of more steps in your journey you need to think about and remember. Step 55. Do unto others as you would want them to do for you. We see that in Matthew 7 verse 12. It says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Why aren't they nice to me? Are you nice to them? We must. In our relationships, you must be careful 
to remove anything from your life that could become a stumbling block to others in your relationship that would cause this not having this harmonious relationship. You must take responsibility and say, God, is there anything in my life that is causing a problem within my relationships with those, whatever person or persons? And then there's a step 56. As you take this next step in your journey, you're going to learn to put off arguing. You're going to put off quarreling. You're going to put off returning evil for evil. You're going to be putting on kind speech. You're going to practice and put on the gentle behavior by giving a blessing to a person instead of a, trying to curse the person. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We must practice, my brothers and sisters... These relationships where we're not complaining, we're not disputing against other people, that we, we become this blameless that person who is not able to hold something over your head to show how you're behaving or how you always arguing and disputing and, and challenging and butting heads with people. must in this, this crooked and perverse generation. And that's speaking of then. Can you imagine what we're living now is this crooked and perverse generation that we live in. We must be blameless among this generation. We must be harmless like children of God. We, that's who we to be as Christians. But let me encourage you, if you're not there yet as a child of God and you're on this early steps of the journey as a disciple, continue to keep going regardless of how you feel. Keep seeking Him. Keep looking for Him. Keep drawing close to Him. I assure you, the good work that He started in you when you got saved, He will be faithful to complete that work in you. And you will see the change take place. A work that you knew that you couldn't do and you never could even fathom that it could have happened in your life. But if you've been walking for a while, and you can say, I've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years. Ask the question, how far down the path of the discipleship journey did you really get? Just because you can say you got saved 40 years ago or 30 years or 10 years or two years ago. question is... Did, are you a disciple? Or are you just saved? And if you're a disciple, did you go down the road only for, to a point where you found, I can pretty much say I'm a Christian. I think people would say I'm a Christian, I think. Is that as far down the road you've gotten? Or a believer or a complete non-believer can absolutely, without a question in their mind when they see you, meet you, there's no question in their mind that you have been with Jesus. That's the question we must ask ourselves. 
does the light of Christ just reflect from your life of just the love that's unconditional? That's the question we must ask. Now, certainly, there's all the other principles and steps that we step down through. You can go back and look at step three and step four and step 39. I mean, these are other things that we've gone through. And, uh, and that's, you know, back in the first two or three weeks of, uh, of, the, of all the teachings. But for the sake of time, we'll continue to move forward here. And we talk about step 57. And this is your practice. You had to make a change. We gave you a couple of steps that you need to do. Now we're talking about how, what do you practice? Well, first of all, confess your sins to the Lord. You must get to a point in your life that you're confessing your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9. I think that's going to be my rally call of Scripture of all of the teaching of, of the discipleship journey, if you want a scripture that summarizes so much of what we've been talking about, go back and memorize 1 John 1.9. But the step here in step 57, we must confess your sins to the Lord, and in a completely biblical manner, you must confess sins to others against whom you have sinned. James 5.16. You must express the sorrow and the repentance of the sin you've caused against another person. We see that in Matthew 3.8. We see that in Acts 26.20. And many other scriptures, but I'll read James chapter 4, verse 8 and through 10. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, I read that so many times, and I go, why do we want to be, you know, as this, you know, Go from laughter into this, you know, this, this mourning and uh, into, from joy to gloom. I, I, what does that mean? And if you ponder, sometimes people really can sin against other people. Literally come against other people. As a Christian, declared Christian here. And still think, oh, I've got joy of the Lord. I am so happy. I'm so at peace. Oh, there's so much peace. Oh, God is doing a work. And he talks like nothing happened. The fact that you're living in sin or you, 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 you went against a brother and sister and, and, and sinned against them. And you keep acting like you're joyful and happy and at peace and God's working in your life. Like nothing happened. That's schizophrenia to me. You need to have God examine your head because you're not thinking rightly. You shouldn't be able to move on even a day or two without making it right and make it right with your brother or sister who you sinned against. And we've gone through that teachings, oh, I don't know, 
probably 10, 15 steps ago. But how many times you're just double-minded? You act like a Christian, you're so joyful, and you're in laughter, and like everything's no problem. The scripture's very clear. You need to humble yourselves and the sight of the Lord, and you need to go fix and deal with the issues in your life, and then he will lift you up. You need to build a biblical plan to change your life. And then once you've built that plan based on what the scripture says and what he's showing you to do, then you must do it. You need to implement it. You can't just say it and think it. You must do it. And that's the hardest part. How many times? Oh, I'm so guilty of having it in my head. I need to do this. I need to do this. And I don't implement and do it. And then a few days later, a few weeks later, all of a sudden, Boom, God brings it back to memory and says, mm, mm, mm. you got, you got to go back, clean up your mess. And then come back and worship me, Corey. Then come back and, and praise me and, and, uh, and seek me in your prayers. Because you got to go deal with some stuff first before you. I'm going to answer your prayers to move on. And he does that for all of us. And he's so gentle. He's so long-suffering. But he's going to work in your life. There's no question about it. Now, step 58. Something you need to practice as well is when communicating with someone, first establish the habit of listening carefully. In every relationship, you need to learn to listen carefully. Actively listening. Proverbs 18.2. Proverbs 18.13. Oh, my favorite is James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. You must learn and practice to listen carefully of what other people are saying. Then speaking to them back, you need to speaking the truth in love. Not just speaking truth, but you must make sure it's, it's couched, it's, it's cradled or delivered in love. But you still have to teach the truth. Bless those with whom you speak to. How do I bless them in giving them the truth in love? You can go back certainly to Ephesians 4.15. 425 and 429. There's many other scriptures that fall and, and support what I'm saying. By following God's directives for biblical communication, we'll pick that subject up at probably in two Wednesdays from now. We'll talk about biblical communication so you learn what it means to have Biblical communication. Because you can communicate, but it won't be in line with the scriptures. You're in trouble. So we'll talk about that. Not only does it need to be biblical communication, but it needs to be honest. It needs to be kind. It needs to be tender-hearted. It needs to keep current 
And I emphasize as I write this, keep current in your conversations. No flashback of 10 years ago what you did to me or five years ago or one year. You have to be current in your communications. And you need to speak with no unwholesomeness words. Those are filthy, nasty words coming out of your mouth. It is not biblical and not helpful at all. Use only words that build up and make for peace. You need to be peacemakers. If it's not going to cause, it not bring about peace, then you probably shouldn't be saying it. If it's not going to build them up to encourage them to make change or make a direction or to re reconcile a relationship to help you build, to build and move forward, then it's probably not the right thing to say at that point in time. Proverbs, of course, always has some great verses to go back and ponder on. I'll give you one. Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. But the tongue of the wise promotes health. You can have a tongue that is like a sword. It will pierce and will be cutting and hurtful. Or you can have a tongue which you say brings healing to the situation. A salve to the sore. What kind of tongue do you have? If your tongue is a sword, you must practice to have a tongue that promotes healing in the relationship. Even in Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word turns uh, harsh word stirs up anger. So if you're going to have a, an intense fellowship moment with someone and conversation, Think about the words you're about to use. If you're going to use harsh words, they're going to stir up anger in that person. But if you use soft words, respond in a soft answer, it will cause that person not to, it'll turn away the wrath of someone coming against you. Wise words from Proverbs. Let me give you one more step that you need to practice. Step 59. Actively seek reconciliation with others. You must actively seek to reconcile relationships with others. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You want to be known as a daughter of God? Then the characteristic of what they see in your life, my sister, is one of a peacemaker. Not a pleaser. Not a man pleaser. Not a woman pleaser here. We're talking a peacemaker. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You don't tell anyone else. You just go to that person and say, hey, 
we got to sit down and talk, man. You, what you did against me, what you said about me, I think we need to talk this out, man, because I don't think this is not going to, this is not helping our relationship. What can we do to make this right here, work this out, right? We, we, those are the conversations. And you do it with him and him alone. You don't go and bring a, a bunch of people with you at that time. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. You've gained that reconciliation. You have your brother back. You have a relationship. You can now move forward. But if he will not hear, will not hear, take you, uh, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And again, we've gone through this process of how to reconcile, but how important it is to do it biblically. It's one-on-one. Person non-repentive, doesn't, doesn't want to hear it, get out of my face. All right, I'm going to take two or three people, come back and readdress it with you. So I have two or three witnesses to show that you are an unrepentant brother that's come, still coming against me here. Not willing to reconcile and confess what you've done. And let it be established so that people know this is where you're standing. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the, the elders is really the first step. Come and let me know that that is happening. And let me or the elders to come involved to try to help you to reconcile and talk with that brother. In some cases it may have to be in front of the entire church body. But very rare Today, it's very difficult to do that. Because most people say, oh, you brought two or three people here? What do you think you're doing? I'm out of here. Why? Because people can sit there, they don't care. They, they're not committed. There's, there's a plethora of churches they'll go to. But back in these days, you didn't have that option. You, church was the church family. It was the one church. You just couldn't take off and pick your, your flavor of the church week. <laughs> Feel like Fruity Tootie this week. Let's go to that church. They always have food on the first Sunday of each month. We go to that church. There's no commitment or accountability or anything. You just float. So when you deal with someone to try to reconciliation, it's very difficult because they just move on to the next one. That's why I've never seen in all the years having to go in front of the whole congregation because normally you can reconcile or that person discovers they're a wolf and they're going to flee anyway. Or what they think they're Christians, but they're not Christians. Because once you've sat down and you actually show them biblically why they're there, and you're literally reading the scripture, this is why this is you're going against God. It's so it's so convicting and so cutting. They they just don't show back up, even though you're doing it in love. I'm telling you, just lovingly trying to show you. Do you realize what the Bible says? I don't want to hear. But shouldn't we try to win them back? Shouldn't we try to share in love the truth to help them understand? God, you can't keep running. 
You can't keep running from the sins that's in your life. It's destroying you, bro. You really need help. I'm just the latest that you came against and said those things. You've probably left a wake from other churches. But I'm willing to go through the pain with you and help you to, to make the change. Are you? If they're, if they're willing. At least put out there lovingly that you're willing to go through the pain of working this through and helping them. But are they willing to take responsibility for their sins in their life? I don't put a percentage, but I can assure you it's more than, than less. Most people don't want to deal with the, with the sins in their life. They don't. And, and you can go back to step somewhere around step 10 to 15 and, and go back and listen to those teachings about what it means people run from their sins and not deal with them. They've been doing it for years, their whole life. Or they shift blame. Remember that conversation we had? Ooh, that was a nice light topic that night, wasn't it? Shifting blame and always blaming someone else for their behavior. At what point do you stop running? Maybe tonight for someone. Tonight's the night you stop running. It could be someone listening to this teaching weeks from now. But at that moment, today is the day they're listening to this, that they stop running. In Colossians 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. How important it is we practice being thankful and that we put on love. We constantly each day decide to put on love. Each situation or occurrences or things that are happening, because it could be you have a great home environment. That's not your challenge. It's only when you get to work. That becomes your challenge because the way they talk and the way they treat you. It goes on and on and on. That's where you need to practice putting on love. How do you show kindness to those who are not being kind to you? Because the scripture says kindness leads to what? Repentance. And I pray. As you grow, as you continue down the discipleship road, you will grow and grow and grow and practice and change. And you will experience a love from God that you've never inside you, that you've never had before. Or people in your relationships that you have will say, there's something about you. You're so loving. I was so kind of you. There'll be, there'll be descriptions of you that are like still bewildered. Like, did you really just say that? You've never said that before. Really? 
you didn't, you're not going to like get really upset. You, I just crashed your car. You mean you're not going to lose it and scream and yell at me because I just crashed your car? No. Are you okay? Are you emotionally upset? You know, all that happened? It's just a car. God gave us a car. God will provide for us to fix the car. The question is, are you okay? Now, if that's a dad saying that to their daughter who's learning how to drive, and they think dad is going to lose it, I don't know what he's going to do to me. And he, dad doesn't respond like the daughter thinks or the son thinks. But just lovingly say, you're more important than anything that we have. That's, in many cases, that's a transformation that some guys like, I can't wait to get to that point. I assure you, my brother, you will if you continue to follow Jesus.